Hello. Hello. Is this pre-flight or flight? Pre-flight. Pre-flight. We should start releasing this. It's bonus, bonus content. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. It's going to be like the super VIP room. All right. So this week we finally have time for the uh, the follow-up that you threw in there about media, old media, and then you put in a lawn sign thing. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Live streams. Yeah, many topics. I do want to touch on live streams. We will both struggle to figure out uh, why I put that in there, but I do know what it is. Um, and then for topics, we could really go anywhere. I shuffled some old stuff up because I thought the stuff from the future was interesting. Not all of it, but you could pull from that if you remember anything. But I'm open for any other of the topics that are hanging around there or something you don't see. This is just a normal show, so there's no extra. So Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to keep it on the slightly shorter side. You know, it's interesting in here, The what will happen with gender. Um, I um, Well, I'll, I'll, this is not the show, but um, it still drives me nuts how difficult it is for, for me to find uh, an ebook version of a book. This sounds so ridiculous, but like they're almost all fully justified. It seems like you used to get more choices, but mm-hmm. I really want to, first of all, it's hard to find a decent copy of Judith Butler's Gender Trouble which seems really strange these days, but I've really been wanting to like read it, read it. And every time I try to read it at a comfortable font size, like I'm driven nuts by the rivers, but um, I don't know. Judith Butler just has this really interesting idea that like, I don't know. Can I talk about it? No, save it for the show. If that's what you want to do, if you well, want to pull that one out. But I'm also asking you, do we really want to talk about gender? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Uh, oh, oh, oh. And just so you know, uh, I don't know what the hell I've done with my filtering software. One reason I'm being so slow to update the doc is like for the last two weeks, whenever I copy anything, Google docs and Google docs with uh, styles, it doesn't get pasted in and I don't know what I'm doing wrong and it screws up the whole document. Hmm. So I'll figure that out, but just so you know, I don't mean to be lax and I do appreciate your doing the work for me. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Uh, let's just keep doing the recording. I, I, I do too much stopping and starting and I think it's bad luck. I agree. I don't agree that it's bad luck. I agree. I agree that you do too much stopping and starting. Stop clapping. No clapping. It's bad luck. I'm burning sage. Mm-hmm. What three. Is, is the clapping. Three. Part of the luck thing. You got to do the clapping to keep the ghosts away. See, now it's the show. Now you blew it. Now it's the no, show. No, okay. I don't have to do you any do. clapping to keep you the do. ghosts away. I'm living rent free in your brain, baby. The demon dogs, maybe not the ghosts. You got demon dogs? I don't. I how, mean, how could you leave this out? This is all gold. I don't know. I guess I have demon dogs. I never really thought about it. I mean, I, oh, I you think got about you. Oh, you got dogs. You got a regular I'm dog and you got demon dogs. I'm thinking about you having demon dogs and John Roderick having demon dogs. I suppose I have them too. Demon puppies. Oh my God. So much is going to come out about you when you're dead. Um, <laughs> is there a comma in there? So much is going to come out of you when you're dead? I mean, <laughs> okay. Screw you. That's all going in. <laughs> Jim. Hi, Not Jim. all, but we'll make some judgment calls there. Hey, everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got the election on in the background. It's, it's, um, Wait, how do you have the election on? Is that a thing that you can have on? I was about to say it's funny, but it's not funny. But it's funny to watch the, the, the poor bastards at MSNBC do backflips to act like this is going to be anything but Youngkins to win. Hmm. I mean, the margins are. <laughs> not good and they're just like well you know there's still we're, we're still waiting for you know critical same day results mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. you know right. uh susquehanna county i feel like i've seen that show before oh didn't, yeah didn't like how it ended last time 
Well, I think they probably tell Kornacki, hey, look, you know, be honest. Do you? Like, you're the reason people are here. Everybody loves Kornacki. Uh, but but also, don't say anything too dire too early because people will just leave. Just and turn go off the show, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or go somewhere that's saying more what they want to hear. And it's like, guys, sorry. Like, it's not it's not McAuliffe's year. Didn't work out. Like, should have done more Washington team. Like, whatever. Appreciate black people. You want some lessons? Come to my place. I can give you a whole list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's... um. It's uh, it's quite a scene, but you know we have our own stuff to do here. We're gonna, you're gonna have a hundred percent reporting from Syracuse County. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, all right. No, that was not a bit. I didn't have that prepared. I was just, off, you off, just off slid the right into it. Yeah, I slide right in. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a little bit. I don't know if we have follow up. We've got front matter. Um. Oh. Oh. By the way, hi everybody. Uh, you can support us by going to relay.fm/rd, and you get some bonus content and stuff. Uh, we don't. We don't. Uh, you know, you know, you know. I say to people sometimes, John, off air. I say, uh, you know, do you want to make stuff or do you want to run a store? And I don't want to run a store. I, if mm-hmm. other people want to run a store and give me a cut for doing absolutely nothing, that's fine. But I don't want to run a store. There's nothing against tending a store, but I don't personally want to do that. You don't, I don't run want a store. To, you're you're the product. I'm the. I, I am the product. I I'm the pro. I do that. Yeah. But I don't want to be stuck in. Uh, yeah, you don't want to podcast anything bought or sold. You don't want to yep. process anything podcast sold. I, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, uh, Lloyd Dobler, anything Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to John Maloney, uh, babies on a plane. What I do know is that, um, we do appreciate your support, uh, relay.fm slash RD. And, um, this is, we're on ordinary time. So, oh, actually there's a time change coming soon, isn't there? Mm, yeah, I hope so. Sunday, probably. Oh God, I think it's the new spaces and tabs. People get so hot about time change. Um, I had a question for you. Do you want to do the lawn signs first or can I ask you, should we do, lawn signs will be fast, right? No, do them in the order in the document. Why? Because that's the order they are in the document. It's fine. Okay, but is there any, is there an unseen hand that caused these to be in a specific order? Yeah, it's my hand or your hand, both unseen but I'm not editing the doc because I've got, I've got blockers. But you wrote in the lawn signs thing. I did that. I did yeah. do that. And I you used, I used that. my uh, Pregunta Marques Espanol. Yeah. You made a way, found a way to make an upside down question mark. So good job. I've been using a Mac for, for years now. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, what am I thinking of here? I want to ask you what you do about getting rid of uh, old physical media because uh, I don't know if you know this about me, John, but I'm always interested in here in, I'm interested in interrogating things about myself. What is it that makes something easy or difficult for me to do? So I know things like, if it involves going up and down the steps, I unconsciously tend to avoid doing it. Um, I don't know, it's kind of a classic David Allen procrastination thing of like, I can sometimes realize why it is that I'm not doing something if I think about it long enough. I've got so much old media, including... Uh, you know, bottom of the pole, I've got stuff like cassettes, but I've also got stuff like video cassettes with, I don't know what's on there. Most of it's clean. Most of it is just Simpsons and Seinfeld. I have so many zip and jazz discs. I have so many old hard drives. And I wanted to ask you what you do about getting rid of old media. If if you want to do it for the sake of time, we could talk just about old computer media, but I'm curious in general, because one, I have a resistance to throwing out any old media not because I'm a hoarder about that stuff, but because I just, I get a, I get a little stitch about thinking there could be something on there that I wouldn't, I'd prefer not everybody have. 
And um, in most cases in the past, I've just, you know, popped out a hard drive, popped in another hard drive, not give it any thought. And then I thought about Mr. Robot and how they get a drill and they drill their discs. And I read about that and I read that you can microwave it, which seems like a very bad idea. And I've read about professional services, but you seem like the sort of person, well, you seem like the sort of person that would probably save all of your old hard drives with labels. But if you have occasion to get rid of some old media, go anywhere you want. What do you, what do you do to feel okay and safe and private about get rid of, getting rid of your old media? Well, you already hit on one big factor here, which is I, not that I don't get rid of anything, but I save a lot of stuff. So I get that for hardware, but like if you've got an old Mac store, 320 meg hard drive, are you keeping that naked, like in a box somewhere? Yeah. I mean, I keep a lot of stuff, like not Mm -hmm. everything, but I do keep a lot of stuff. The reason I keep old hard drives is because I also have the old computer that went with the old hard drive. And if I ever want to boot the old computer i need the old hard drive like that has all my data on it like, uh, so like, you don't have to get on the tashi station i get yeah, it like the whole point of having the old computers is if in theory someday you want to look at them and you can see what was my computing life like in mm-hmm. 1990 whatever and you've got the whole system including all your data right assuming it still works which it probably doesn't let's be honest but that's one thing i don't get rid of a lot of stuff but <laughs> bit rot <laughs> yeah uh, blown capacitors but i do <laughs> get rid of things from time to time and uh, the way I deal with it is, I mean, this is a good place uh, for me to invoke uh, security through obscurity, but I'm not going to, I'm going to do a different one just in case you haven't heard this one, because I'm sure you know about security through <laughs> like obscurity. Like when, when you can make a folder invisible. <laughs> no, you know about, oh, do I have to do both? I'll do both. You know about security through obscurity, right? That concept? Yeah, the idea that like, if you, if you can't see, we can't easily see what it is, you're basically hi- hiding, but even just barely hiding. It's like, you know where it is. But unless somebody knows what to look for, I, I think of it almost like the way you hide a key under a fake rock. Right. Like the, the only thing, the only thing keeping you secure is the fact that someone doesn't know a thing. And then once they know it, there is no actual security. You just open up the frog. There's the key. Right. So that's, yes. that's security yes. through obscurity. Um, like the, the only, you know, the, it's in, lack of information is what's protecting you. And that's generally considered a bad form of security because there is no security. There's just one tiny little piece of information. And then once they have that, oh, they get right in. But I'm not going to use that analogy. I'm going to use a different one. I'm going to use big sky theory. Have you heard that one? The idea that uh, two planes will tend to not hit each other? Yeah, more or less. Or any two objects or things in the sky, whether it's a bullet coming from an anti-aircraft gun or a bullet coming from one plane to another. Yeah, or we two know planes. some people die when people shoot their guns in the air, but it's actually kind of surprising that there aren't more people that die from gun gunshots falling out of the sky. Well, this isn't about people on the ground. It's about things in the air. And in general, the idea that uh, part of, a big part of what is protecting things in the air, whether they be two airplanes or one airplane and one bullet or, you know, whatever, uh, is that the sky is really big in three dimensions. And we're used to thinking of things kind of Pac-Man and, style and in two moving. dimensions. And the plane is moving. Yeah. We're used yeah. to thinking of things in two dimensions, even though obviously down here on the ground, we, we do have three dimensions, but we're generally earthbound. And it's like, well, I'll just simplify and say, okay, well, we're all more or less at the same height. And so it's just basically forward, back, left, right. And you're right. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this, especially like for things like cars, they're not leaving the ground, we hope in general. So the collisions, you can just, uh, you know, think of yeah, it as that a Battleship would be a more difficult children's game if it had four dimensions. Yeah. Uh, but up in the sky, uh, suddenly you've got forward, back, left, right, and also up, down. Uh, and that extra dimension is uh, a big factor. The sky is really, really big. So a big part of what's protecting you is big sky theory, that the sky is really big and you're in it and you're moving and other things are in it and they're moving and chances are really good that you're not going to hit a bullet with a bullet like that, that you're, it's going to be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So for throwing out media, 
the main thing that I think about is uh, Big Sky Theory. The world is big. Uh, landfills are big. What are the odds, if I'm not specifically being targeted, that anyone will ever even find any of my old media when whatever landfill it ends up in, let alone connect it to me, let alone find something valuable on it that I or something that I didn't want people to see. So what do I do with old media when I want to get rid of it? I throw it in the garbage mm -hmm. and then it goes away because when you throw something away where is away merlin mm -hmm. i know i know it's a, it's a question michael stipe has asked for years right and i tend not to destroy it mostly because i don't think i've ever thrown out anything that had anything valuable you worry about tuscan raiders i don't think i have anything valuable in any of that old stuff like i don't if i had financial records they would be pointlessly out of date and no one would care about them but i don't even think i have those on any of them and getting back to my first point if I throw something out like a hard drive, chances are good it no longer works. And yes, maybe someone could crack it open and find some ancient thing that knows how to like extract data from a quote unquote broken old hard drive. I, no, you answered you answered the most the most interesting part of the question. I think it's an unsatisfying answer, but I I totally get it. It's just that when I see San Francisco has a famous culture of discarding, where if you put something out on the curb, somebody will almost always grab it. It's, it's very odd sometimes what people will and will not grab. We put out some extremely high quality, like good, as in like, like new stuff, and it'll sit there for a day, where there's stuff we put out that's like, oh, this is embarrassing. I feel like I'm, I'm breaching the sacred oath of discard culture by even putting this out, and it's gone the next morning, right? So I just, I know that there are people, and I watch people literally go through the garbage cans in my neighborhood. I think it's partly a cultural thing, waste not, want not. Um, a lot of people leave their trash there and a lot of people, <laughs> I'm using people here, a lot of people leave their trash, their house trash in giant piles by the cans and then other people like get that trash. It's very strange. Uh, all I know is there are people that there, there are people for whom my trash is absolutely their treasure. And I just have this paranoid nightmare of like, oh my God, what if, what if I have something like really stupid or embarrassing or, you know, like I say, every piece of paper I had in college that was issued by my college has my social security number on it, stuff like that. And I, I mean, we can debate whether or not that's something, how much to worry about something like that. But if we just take it as read that there, it, there could be an item, there could be a datum somewhere on your media that you just assume somebody else not have. Anybody who's curious, bored, or looking to make some money might stumble across it. And, it's not, and that, that was, that's the question I mean to pose. And it sounds like your answer to that is don't worry so much about it because for a variety of reasons, there's a pretty good chance nobody will see it anyway. Well, like I said, my situation is that if I'm throwing out a piece of media, it probably doesn't work anymore. Like it's not readable. For example, I threw out a bunch of optical discs recently because I was going through my giant collection of old optical discs and the ones that were not readable, they just went in the garbage. I didn't do anything. Is that like a, like a psych, like a psych quest? No, like a, like a CDRs, CDRWs. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, the little okay. things with like ink that you burn the little spots and those have a very short lifetime. So Temporarily. Temporarily. <laughs> yeah. So those went bad and I just threw them in the garbage as is. You telling me all my DVD RWs might not be as good right now? No, probably not. Um, but you really it, it helps to know what you're throwing out. If I had something where I was, I wanted to throw out something that had like my old Quicken files for that aren't that old. They're only like five years old. Maybe I didn't want people to see that or something. It's It's sufficient to just like, you know, do a secure, quote unquote secure erase of the hard drive or something like that. Cause like, honestly, if you're, unless you're being targeted by state actors, like yeah, just erasing it or destroying it in some trivial way, like no one cares enough to try to recover your craft from that. And if they do trying to like recover things from your partially destroyed, secure erased hard drive is the hardest possible way to get that info. They would just break into your actual computer and steal the information. 
off of it now. Like, why would they bother going through your garbage? It's too much mm-hmm. work. So that's- yeah, I'm not talking about a targeted attack. A targeted attack, forget it. We're all dead. Right. I, I just mean more like the happenstance of like people stumbling across it. Yeah, and I think just just erasing or destroying is sufficient for casual things like that. The other thing I could do is just have fewer secrets. Fewer secrets, better organization. You know what I'm saying? That's just like they said in the movie Sneakers. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Burrow. You can learn more about Burrow right now by visiting burrow.com slash rd. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash rd. Who is Burrow? Well, I'm here to tell you. It's the company striving to set a new standard in furniture with easy-to-move modular designs such as timeless American mid-century and contemporary Scandinavian styles in premium durable materials like responsibly forested hardwood, top-grain Italian leather, and reinforced metal hardware. Burroughs' in-house design team takes a research-driven approach because they want to make sure that their furniture fits your lifestyle, and that's why they have produced simple mounting guide posters for their index wall shelves and a tool-free assembly process. Ooh, doesn't that sound nice? Tool-free. Burrow has a modern website that's super easy to use. It's really true. It means you can create and customize your own furniture right from your home, right now on your old furniture that you're going to be replacing very soon. You don't have to go into old-fashioned warehouse stores or high-pressure showrooms. Hate them. Hate them. And you get to enjoy free shipping for all of the things. Every order, no matter how small or large, is delivered directly to your door for free. And that can save you well over $100 when buying a large item like a couch, which is, you know, in my opinion, what you should probably be buying from Burrow. If you ever need help, the Burrow team is always available to lend a hand from custom orders to rescheduling a delivery. I'm a fan of Burrow. I've mentioned this before, but I, I bought a Burrow couch before they were a sponsor. I didn't even use an offer code, like, like, a, like a sucker. But, but I love it. I sit on it. My family sits on it. I let them sit on it. I made it, you know. And if we ever have to bug out, you know, you, you, you take your burrow apart. You can just carry it outside like a gentleman. It's bonkers. It's really good. And what I want you to do right now, I want you to get $75 off your first order by joining me. You go to burrow.com slash R-D. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash R-D. It's going to get you $75 off burrow.com slash R-D. Our thanks to Burrow for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Yeah, I don't know, but it's, it's probably way more trouble than it's worth. It's, again, to quote my friend Chris's dad, I just want to keep the honest people honest. And, you know, it, there's already a bit of a hump in life for me to put all my old cassettes in a box. You know, a lot of times, you know, I do, John, I just close my eyes and think of England. There have been times when we're going to get the big junk pickup. Um, we, we're, we've done like Yellow Sack or we're doing 800 Junk. And I, I actually sort of empower my wife. I say, please let me die. And, and what I do is I'll point to an area and I'll say, if all that found its way into the yellow sack or that somehow made it into what we call garbage island, which is the area in the center of the garage, we tape off like this is garbage island. Everything mm-hmm. inside of garbage island, please make go away. Because she's, she is merciless. She has, she has no nostalgia. She has no sentimentality That's or why attachment. why you lost all your concert t-shirts and your first date shoes. She threw, she threw, threw the shoes away. I did the shirts and I regret it, but, no, but you, um, I feel like you were influenced to do the shirts. I was influenced. Her and Peter Walsh, you know, were like uh, two devils on my shoulders. That's why shoulders come in pairs. One's for Peter Walsh and one's for my wife. 
<clears throat> they whisper in my ear, vas, vas, vas. And, yeah, and, then, and then Peter Walsh goes, yes, it's awful, awful, because he's from Australia, mm-hmm. which is how they sound because they're Tasmanian. And so I don't know. I probably shouldn't worry about it. Um, but I don't know. It just dogs me. And so you know what I did do? I got a drill I'm pretty happy with. <laughs> I mean, it's probably not. So I had a drill and then another drill. And then I got a third drill. This is mm-hmm. over 20 years. So mm-hmm. the drill I have now, I bought as part of like a package on Amazon. And I was had ve- I had very low expectations for it, but I've been crazy satisfied with it. It's this, you know, 20, probably 20 volt drill that comes is with- that a hammer good- drill? Uh, oh, is that a dad joke? No, that's a real thing. Oh, no, I don't think I know what that is. Well, you would know what that is if uh, during mm. the course of your life of drilling, you ever had occasion to drill into concrete. Oh, this is not good at that. I could use a hammer drill. I tried to go mm-hmm. into masonry or whatever you call it, and boy, did not, not do it. Yeah, masonry right. bit and a regular drill is not going to. Even with do the torque going you. on all the way, it just goes, gee, gee. You need the hammer drill. Okay, I'm going to look into that. Well, I mean, I, I'm saying if you never needed to go into concrete, which apparently you never had, uh, then maybe you don't need it. But I well, have. But, okay, I, have I got had, one. Okay, hang on. Yeah, I got I've, one. Had, I've had one drill in my life, uh, and I still have that one drill, and I oh, had really? occasion to drill into concrete, and I do not have a hammer drill, and I quickly learned this drill is not going to do the job. Well, I thought I'd be like Mr. Robot. And so I, with one of my old, let's go look here. It's, it's in a nice freezer bag with all its parts. And what I've got here is. A WD, God, why do they make the writing so small? Uh, WD six six gigabyte. That seems pretty big. First of all, okay, so you can't just unless you've got like like a Mr. Robot drill, you can't just like or a drill press. I think you can't just go zoo and like drill through your your housing. You've got to take out all the I guess Torx screws, and if you get all of them like you're supposed to, I think there's like six or eight of them. It's a lot of work to get all the screws off. Then you have Wait, to take it you, apart. What are you using the drill for? Oh, here it is. 372 gig blank. Um, well, because to do oh, Mr. You're, you're trying you're trying to you open the case. Through, with, you're opening the case with a screwdriver first, right? Well, yeah, or a or a drill. But but the point is the drill <laughs> there's the drill for removing screws. No, no, but the but for this, mm-hmm. for the purposes of this, I was using a little uh ratchet screwdriver with a tour. I've got the I fix it uh kit. Okay. Um and but you're supposed to take it off. And you got to remove the controller or whatever it's called, and then you're supposed to take off each of the platters. And I got stuck at. I got all the way down to the platters, right? To the like little records, and I couldn't figure out how to get those off. But like you're just supposed to do something that basically screws up the platters a little bit. But like that's a lot of work to get to doing a lot of work. So maybe I should get a, a hammer drill press. Uh, well, let's see. I feel like it's better to connect it to your computer and secure, right? Quote unquote, secure erase it. I guess it's, it's sufficient. That's a good idea. That's a good idea, and and that's but that's probably eco waste. Also, you get a free rare earth magnet out of it. It's almost like uh, like getting something out of your cracker jack. Yeah, I had a, uh, a partially disassembled hard drive on my shelves in my room growing up because it just looks cool. The little voice coils and the, the shiny platters and yeah. oh, dude, I used to make. Uh, there was a I don't know. If you, well, check check my memory on this. I was about to ask you if you remember this, but you can also just tell me if I made this up. There was a point when the RAM that we bought for Max at least in my, you know, class, were 256K? No. Yeah. Meg? No. You get four of them to get a Meg, yeah. Wait, 256K? Kilobytes, yes. The little skinny ones. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, it would be like uh, 40, $42 in the back of Mac Connection Magazine or whatever. $40 a Meg, I think it was. And so you would... Anyway, the point being, there was a point where we... we 
everybody had so we were making some kind of a transition maybe to different kinds of Macs with different kind of RAM. But all I remember is all of a sudden in my capacity as the Mac guy at work, I was suddenly in possession of dozens of useless 256K RAM um, things. And so uh, I made them into Christmas ornaments. And I, cause I, I thought the same thing. I thought it looked cool. Also, before we had a name for stuff like, you know, cyberpunk, steampunk, you know, or maybe Neil Stevenson did. Please stop talking about Snow Crash. You, you could just glue them to stuff, hot glue them to stuff, and it would look cool. And you, you, then you, you'd look like a robot. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? All right. Well, thank you. And now the next one for next time in the future, as you'll see on the list, I want to ask you how you label all of this, uh, these, these data holding devices that you have. And you don't have to talk about it now, but I'd love to hear about that later. What? Why don't we do it now? It's on topic. I used to have an app that I loved. Oh, you know, first of all, I'm going to say, do you remember stuff like Aldous Fetch? Like there were these really cool apps where you could catalog the contents of usually removable media and you had a searchable index of all mm-hmm. of your stuff. We did it for all of our What's it called? What's that company? Photo disc or whatever, like all of our stock art and all of our, all of the stuff I'd done in courtroom exhibits before, it's before I learned how to name things well, but still it was so cool. I could have a bunch of stuff in like, you know, cold storage, find it on there, pop it in, get it off. I've been looking into stuff like that again lately because it seems to make sense. Do you use something like that? Are you writing it down longhand with a quill? How do you know what's on that 20 meg hard drive from 1986? So the, the only catalog system I used for a long time was it's sort of in the era when optical discs were the most economical way to make a long-term, quote-unquote, long-term backups of large amounts of data without breaking the bank, I would burn things onto CD or DVD, uh, and then I would file them away. And the way I would keep track of what's on them is I would use a French program, I, think, I believe it's French, called TriCatalog. And basically, you just launch the program and you shove it in an optical disk and it would index everything on the optical disk. Same idea. Would, yeah, absolutely. And reject the disk. And then you mm-hmm. just have a certain local searchable index, right? Yep. And I used that program for years and years. And because I had just had so many optical disks, in the beginning, they only held 650 megs or whatever. And eventually, they held four gigs. But either way, I had so much stuff. And you'd never be able to find it. And optical disks are so slow, you wouldn't want to, like, guess and take it out and stick it in and let it spin up and look, you know. So you just launch Tri Catalog and look it up. Uh, it was like Aldous Fetch, right? Um but TriCatalog went from like version six to version seven. Version seven costs a lot of money. I don't remember a lot of, a lot of money at the time to me. It was like, I don't know what it was like. 40 bucks. Eight, <laughs> yeah, 40, $40 or $80, stuff like that. And it was like, look, I'm this TriCatalog is looking pretty creaky. I'm not using optical discs anymore. I'm never going to use this program again. But in case I ever want to look something up on my giant collection of optical discs, I do want to be able to read my existing index, right? Of course. And eventually TriCatalog 6 stopped working on like the modern version of macOS. So I guess like I guess I have to upgrade to 7. But then I said, you know what? I don't. I can just keep a VM around. So I have like a Snow Leopard VM whose sole purpose when I launch it is to just run TriCatalog. Like it's it's a frozen save state with TriCatalog running. So anytime I need to look something on my opt disk, I can launch launch VMware and launch that VM. Oh my God. And TriCatalog is there and I'll look it up. I'll find out which disk it is. I'll stick it in my Mac and I'll discover it's unreadable and throw it in the garbage. So that's my current system for cataloging. Beyond that, what's on all my old hard drives? It's whatever my current computing life was at the state that computer was sort of frozen in amber, right? So I don't have a catalog mm-hmm. of that. But you, you'll know roughly the time. So like if I were trying to find, oh, God forbid, I was trying to find something I wrote my third year of college <clears throat> or my last year of college. Well, I still have the floppy disks that I imagine are long dead. But like, are you saying you like sort of like you can time estimate it time-wise by roughly when you own that Mac, probably? Yes, but I don't need to do that. Because oh, so I never... you always move everything over. Exactly. I don't, yes. if I wanted to look at, like, I just did it the other day. I'm like, where is my, I had a big collection in college. I had a course where we had to write assembly code. 
right? For it's like the 16-bit processor, you write assembly code for the whole course. And I wrote, you know, thousands and thousands of lines of assembly, the most assembly I've ever written in my life. And I wanted to like, I want to look some of that up to see what that looks like. It's still in my documents folder on my Mac, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, everything comes along. For the most part, every time I got a new Mac, its hard drive was big enough to contain everything from my previous computing life, plus much more stuff. So I'm sure mm-hmm. there's stuff I left behind. Obviously, I left behind applications. Like, if I want to see all my kaleidoscope themes, I would have to go back into the attic to get those because they're not on my current computer because they're pointless and useless. But yeah. data, like papers I've written or old emails I've sent or, you know, source code for courses that I took in college, that's pretty much all on my Mac now because it's so tiny in the grand scheme of things. I just I just keep bringing it along. It's now, crazy. if BitRod is destroyed, yeah. it, I would have to go back to the archives, but I don't have a catalog of it. It's just like go back to the most recent computer, then the second most recent, then third most recent, you know, and keep going like that. It's amazing. You, uh, you recently described, I'm sorry to be creeping on you and zooming in on your life, but you said recently that you described the attic where you keep your stuff as, I think you said something like semi-finished. Like I was imagining it being like a crawl space in Florida and it makes you, you sell, it sounds like it's semi-finished, semi-stand-upable. No, it's complete. It's completely finished. It's not semi-finished. The only thing it's not is heated or cool. Well, how's that an attic? That sounds like a third floor. Well, because it's the, you know, it's like, think of a typical house with a typical house roof, like a little cartoon house, a little cartoon house roof, uh-huh, right? With the crow. You got, mm-hmm. and think there's two floors. One floor is, is a rectangular solid. The second floor is a rectangular <laughs> solid. And then you I have this Sims. Tri- I'm familiar with the model. Then you have a triangular solid on the top. And the mm. triangular solid is my attic. And ah. I can only stand in the center of the attic. Because if I walk two feet in either direction, I will hit my head. That's on... tall though, John. You're a, you're a large man. Right. But I'm saying it's not like... I it's, get it. It's and not it's really, semi-temperature you know... controlled. Like you've got a dehumidifier, it sounds like, up there? No. I have, we have nothing up there except for windows. Um, mm. But it's this there's, there's wall-to-wall carpeting on all the walls. There is sheetrock on all of the walls. There is uh, there's recessed lighting, right? There's windows. Dang. It's 100% finished and it is It's filled... like a museum. No, it is filled top to bottom with junk. It is basically a mm. combine the end scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark with hoarders. That's what that's our attic. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. We're working on it. We are working. It is an ongoing project. I'm gonna dis. Speaking of assembly, I'm gonna disassembly that statement and say the computers are yours and the hoarders is your wife. No, we're both kind of equally of course, guilty, of th- course. Th- I mean, things do need to leave our house. We we've gotten a yes. lot. Of, we've gotten rid of a lot of baby clothes recently. To let you know how far we are behind on getting rid of stuff. We just did a another, not a purge, but we did a like a dump run and like, I don't know. It was kind of interesting because, oh God, this is incredibly unhealthy. Please don't let anybody know this happens in Merlin Mann's theoretical house. But, you know, we do stuff like uh, when we get, when we got to clean out my kid's room because there's just no more room to move in it anymore. One of the things that has to go is very old books. And I'm, I'm really trying to encourage her to donate things that she doesn't want or need anymore because, you know, there's somebody who could really use that, maybe her old preschool in some cases. But <laughs> what we end up with is this hilarious hierarchy. I should get photos for you where it's like, uh, the, you know, top layer is what's called precious things. But precious things do not discard. Okay. And then you've get, got like good, but not, or like important. And you got like good, but not important, like pitch if you have to, et cetera. And a lot of stuff that ends up in an unmarked contractor bag could be stuff like really old stuffed animals, including, let's be honest, some smuggled stuffed animals that were known to be low value. Again, I, I've got the uh, I've got the exterminator working on that for me. But uh, yes, yeah, some rodents got into one of them. And what's amazing, she was first of all like mostly okay with the fact that rodents had been consorting with her old stuffed animals. Oh, and she was also mostly okay with the fact that the exterminator uh, had had taken all this stuff without her knowing to the garage. 
she was okay. And she only kept a couple of them. And one of them had even been a little bit like nibbled on, but she still wanted to keep it. I thought that whole thing was entirely healthy. Uh, I don't know if it's technically healthy. I don't want things that rodents have been into. That's kind of gross. Rodents have been on everything. Do you have any, you know, you're always, you're never more than three feet away from a rodent. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you for that. I should probably just make fewer mistakes in life. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. Friends, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace has got you in particular covered. They combine cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever for you to establish your, your new home online, you know, to make your ideas a reality. You know, it's Squarespace. You just go check it out. Squarespace has everything that you need to create a beautiful and modern website. Well, you start with a professionally designed template, right? It's just a template. You're just going to run with it, right? You can make it however you want. Then you use a really simple drag-and-drop tools to make the site your own. I'm going to say simple but powerful because they're really fun to use, uh, these tools. You drag, you drop, you know, you, uh, you, you click a little bit, you know. And because these are templates, you know, from professionals, you can customize the look and feel, right? The settings, the products, whatever it is you have on your site, anything you have on sale, like all this and more with just a few clicks. All Squarespace sites are optimized for mobile. That means that your content will automatically adjust to look great on every device or dingus. You're also going to get free unlimited hosting, top of the line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. Nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Never has been. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you need any help, and they'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. It is so vitally important that you get a unique domain name, and it's my understanding that's a personal guarantee from, from Squarespace. It's going to be a unique domain name. Otherwise, you run into what uh, John Syracuse calls namespace pollution. So get a domain name. You're going to have everything you need for SEO, email marketing, everything you need to get your ideas out there. What are you going to use it for? What aren't you going to use it for? Is my answer, you know saying you're smarty pants. You can turn your big idea into a new website, showcase your work. They're incredible portfolio designs. Publish your next blog post, promote your business, and even announce an upcoming event. It's like Theodore Herzl says, if you will it, it is no dream. I'm a huge fan of Squarespace. I've been with them just, just about uh, pretty much as long as I can remember, which is not saying a lot these days, given my memory. But what I can uh, tell you that I remember is, is I also use Squarespace for the Roderick on the Line website. Our, our podcast is hosted there. The files, the images, uh, the words that I type about the program, it's all in Squarespace. Big fan. That's where I put my personal sites. And uh, I, I, they get my official okie dokie. All right. So would you do me a favor? Would you please go head over to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-A-F-F-S. That's going to get your free trial, you guys. No credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use our extremely special offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a unique domain name. Squarespace.com slash DIFFS. When you sign up, use that offer code DIFFS for 10% off. It'll show your support for reconcilable differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Um, you sent me a sign uh, in a text, and I'm just going to tell you what I think is going on here, and then you tell me if I know what's going on here. You sent me a sign. I get half the joke, or what I believe to be half the joke. You sent me a sign that's kind of unusual in the way that it's the type is colored, 
It reminds me of uh, the sign that Frank Chu used to carry around downtown San Francisco. The real heads will remember Frank Chu. You sent, but what's interesting and funny about it, the part I get is it includes uh, elements of that text. The text that was used to try and scare people away from nuclear sites that like, you know, don't come here. This is not a place of honor, et cetera, et cetera. But it's in this whack, we'll put this in notes, but it's in this real wackadoo, like multicolored texting. And then what you said to me was, not sure if you have these signs around, but this is pretty good. I don't think we have these signs around. Do we tell me what I'm looking at here? Yeah, so you, you put it in the notes, and it's, it's from the tweet from this person. It's a lawn sign. Uh, maybe you don't have lawns there, so you don't have lawn signs. I, I, well, I want to talk about this in particular, please. Yes. Out here in suburbia, we have things that look like this. Here's a legit one that I just sent you. Um, oh, my God. You're kidding. This is real? This, yeah, people in our neighborhood and around our area have signs like this. In fact, perhaps also this exact sign on their lawn. So like that dog, that don't let your dog pee, poop here sign is not unusual for the kind of thing people would have in a neighborhood? But this is not like that. This is a, this is a, a fad, a trend, a fashion. It's like a this paragraph, John. Yeah, so so the, the sign here, is, <sighs> it's a black background on the sign, okay. and it has all caps uh, text in various colors. Like the first line is white, the second line is red, the third line is yellow, uh, anyway, and so on. And what it says is, in this house, we believe, and then it has a list of things, black lives matter, no human is illegal, science is real, love is love, kindness is everything, women's rights are human rights, mix and match whatever sort of, you know, statement of belief that you want. There's also a whole other category that looks different than this for like, in this neighborhood, hate has no home in this neighborhood, and it says it in multiple languages, says it in, in, you know, Chinese, Japanese, Arabic, Spanish, right? Lots of those signs are around our neighborhood. Um... The joke sign, the joke is not making fun of people who put these signs. It's making fun of the idea that this is a fad and tons of people have like this particular style has caught on. And so mm-hmm. it is a it is that text from the, you know, scaring people away from nuclear waste sites, but done in the style of one of these lawn signs. So you only you only got okay. you got about half the joke because you don't, I guess, see these lawn signs. I just wonder, like, you, you, you could I have them, I guess, don't. in front of an apartment building or something, but it's maybe not the trend in your neighborhood. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about. Well, first of all, let me get you a couple photos of Frank Chu. Here's a picture of daddy with Frank Chu. Uh, Frank Chu's a guy who's a, I I guess he's still around. He's a very interesting, colorful local fella who would walk around San Francisco in this kind of oversized suit, um, holding up a sign. And I think he's got a Wikipedia entry, but like usually one feature of what you usually see on it is somewhere would say something about the 12 galaxies. And there were, you can get a, there's lists of like all the stuff that's been on his signs, but you, do you see how I could have confused that with a Frank Chu sign? Let's see. Uh, yeah, no, maybe that's the style that they're copying. I don't know. Like, it, you, it's, hmm. this is Would you like to read test. that to me, the one of Frank Chu and me in a picture? Would you want to read that to me, maybe? Is that English? I mean, it's this champion wow. 12 galaxies, wow, right? I but guess maybe, says, hate has, maybe hate has a home where you live. O-S-G-R-O-C-R-E-N. Champion 12 Galaxies. Osgroco Crenital Disulfuriums, new line in red. MSNBC, Rofsoventricnal Coverage, mm. new line in white. Wiesgrogenical, new line in blue. Pharmacotherapy Predators, new line in white. Buprefnorphine. Are any of these real words? Wow. It's amazing. I mean, they might can't, be I can't things. believe you went to MIT. Might be, I didn't. There might be drug things hmm. that I don't know about. Oh, wow. Wow, it just keeps getting better. Anything mm-hmm. else? You want to talk about his driving? <sighs> okay. Um, no. Okay, so no, I don't think we get these at all. What we do get, I think it's going to be almost as inscrutable for me to describe what we do get. First of all, a lot of people here, uh, 
there are people who live on the first floor in, in, in San Francisco, but a lot of people live in second and third floor of like, you know, apartment-ish. Like Luca. Oh, yes, like Luca. But, you know, she lived upstairs from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so you see a lot of window signs. One that became popular and controversial during, I don't understand this. I've asked my wife, to, she's explained to me three times and I still don't understand it. There's one that suddenly became popular during the pandemic and it's a squeezy honey bear. And I think it's supposed to mean we're going to get through this, but it's kind of like a shepherd fairy thing where you can get different flavors of the honey bear. They're really popular in Hayes Valley in the panhandle and they're, they're silly. You're going to have to explain this little squeezy honey bear as in like the bottle of honey. John, have like you ever a seen a squeezy honey bear? I mean, I know about bottles of honey shaped like bears. John, are you familiar with honey? Mm-hmm. Do you know how you can come in a, in a bear bottle that you squeeze? I mean, Eileen can, but sure, yeah. Well, you, you, go, you go and buy a cutout of that or obtain a cutout of that about four feet high and you put it in your window. Okay? Does that make sense? How does it, is it full color? I don't like, know, it, John. I don't understand what it's supposed to be, but I know some people- I need, uh, I need to see this. Lots of people got, oh God, Google San Francisco honey bear controversy. What? <laughs> SFCA, SFCA- Honey bear. And, and please, you know what? If any, of you, if any of you contact me in any way to explain this to me. Well, they're pretty well drawn. See, I was wondering, like, because that's not easy to draw, like a honey bear. You know, you have to, like, to make it look like it's a shiny honey thing. But they've come up with a pretty good thing of, like, maybe four colors. Yes. For the honey bear signs. And then, then they wear different hats. You got an astronaut one. You got a fire truck one. I guess. Uh, but, you know, I, got, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a, like a Funko or a... Yeah. What's it called? A money or whatever they're called? You know, like the things you can buy at an anime store? Looks like different anime things. You can get, you can skin it, you know, like the way you skin, you skin a, a Funko Pop. Yeah, look, or, at, look at this one. You got an avocado bear. But I think the only official one, the, the fake shepherd fairy person who has a funny name, I don't care. Please don't, don't explain this to me. It's so important that you not explain this to me. I cannot tell you how much I treasure the number of things in this world that I don't know about. It's amazing. Thank you. I want the opposite of Vox. I want an unexplainer. I want a way to purge. I want to remove things. knowledge from your head. Absolutely. I mean, you can remember for me wholesale. For you, yes. Huh? Oh, gotta log in again. Um, anyway, there's that. We get those. There's a lot of Black Lives Matter. There's a lot of pretty strident political signs. Uh, because really, you don't get a lot of yards. I would say pound for pound compared to most other places people have been. There's not that many yards in San Francisco. If there is a yard, it's gonna be a backyard. In the actual city of San Francisco, you're not going to see a lot of front yard most places. Not 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 true everywhere. Like if you go, oh Jesus, John, look how cute that one is. Come on, uh, all right. Um, we get those. What else do we get? You know what's interesting though, as somebody who grew up mostly in Florida, where like people are constantly demonstrating things all the time. I told you about the time I was dri- driving by the dog track in Sarasota. And I saw a car with three different St. Oda drug stickers. I've told you this story, right? I was, uh, I was in sound, my van, sounds driving familiar. down the road. I want to sit down to Soto, but I was going down the road, and there's a car in front of me, and it had three different St. Oda drug stickers on it. And it's going to be difficult. This is 1988 or 9, um, whenever Dare was like really catching fire. But what's interesting about this was there were three different stickers, but there were two different styles and two different ages of sticker, where like it was clear. And there was no, there's, it wasn't any, it was like they had put these on at three different times. And just sitting there, probably a little stoned, sitting in my van staring at this, I was thinking, it's really like they said to themselves, the first one didn't work, so I should get another one. It's called and a relapse, maybe, Merlin. Yeah, I thought it was called a regression. Hmm. And so 
but there's things like that. And there's some like, you know, you'll see people like near our police station that have like, you know, whatever, I have guns and vote or like uh, blue, blue lives line, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. You'll see that occasionally. It's an Irish, uh, Chinese and Irish neighborhood. So you'll see a lot of like Irish, P- Irish people are very excited to let you know they're Irish and then they want to be kissed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, but like, I gotta say for being as opinionated as this godforsaken horrible city is, uh, there isn't as much of that stuff as say in Florida where everybody's wearing a shirt and everybody's got a car with stuff on it. And like, you know, we just don't get the kind of displays that you would get at places all over Florida, for example. So no, we don't get a lot of like yard signs that you, the peninsula, you'll get a lot of that. And when we were in, for my wife's birthday, we visited our family in gold country and went out to eat and, and that was, it was the first time, John, that I've seen stuff like Trump flags. That was the first time I've, with my own eyes, seen Trump flags in somebody's yard. And we were, because this is in like wine country and, no, it wasn't gold country, it was wine country because we went up to like Sonoma. But it was really wild. I was like, this is what it's like in other places. People actually bought banners with Trump's name on it and hung it from something. Because we, we don't have that here pretty much at all. Yeah, it's a different world. Occasionally, I see a, a, even just a Trump bunker sticker or something on a on a car, and it surprises me. It shouldn't, but there it is. Triggered? Yeah, just annoyed, disappointed, really. Yeah, I know. Me too. I'm not even mad. <laughs> mm-hmm. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Memberful. You can learn more about Memberful right now by visiting memberful.com slash diffs. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience. It's used by the biggest creators on the web. You can generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying your revenue stream. You might have heard us talking about uh, the Relay FM membership program. Remember, you can always go to relay.fm uh, slash RD. And, and you know what? You're going to be using Memberful uh, because that's, that's what we're using, guys. Okay? Memberful is the platform we use for our membership program. It's member full. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they make it super easy to generate extra revenue and to deliver bonus content to our members. Uh, they make it real easy to do. I mean, I don't even know what they're doing for me because they do it all. I just hit a bunch of buttons like a dingus, but like it seems to work really well. It's memberful. Maybe you're already producing content, maybe relying on advertising or other means of income. It's not my concern. Memberful makes it easy to diversify that income, okay, with everything you need to run a membership program. Includes uh, custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, love Apple Pay, free trials, private podcasts, and tons more. Uh, but that uh, still leaves you uh, with uh, full control of whatever it is that you're making and uh, everything that relates to your audience, your brand, your membership. They're just there to help you out. That memberful is helping you. Now you can send paid email newsletters. This is new to me. Directly through memberful without needing to connect to a third-party email provider. Lots of feather in their cap. You can even publish your paid newsletter content to a memberful hosted members only website. Now, there's no additional fee when you're signed up for memberful's pro or premium plans. Plus, you'll save money compared to other popular hosted newsletter platforms. So, uh, if you're in the content creation biz, as we call it, memberful can help you monetize, monetize that passion. So, please go and you get started right now. Get started for free. You go to memberful.com slash diffs. That's D I F F S. No credit card will be required. Memberful.com slash diffs. You go there now, you check it out. It could be the start of something exciting. 
our thanks to Memberful for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. All right. Well, we covered a lot of good ground there. I don't even know how far in we are. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, that's that. Did you have any questions for me? No, I think we covered mm. it. Mm-hmm. Let me go look at the document. I got to close this goddamn honey bear. Ugh. And there's a Mr. Monopoly. <laughs> People. Um, we were going, oh, you have something that I need explained. Oh, yeah. So we did labeling old media. We did lawn signs. We covered a lot of good ground. Um, oh, can I go behind the scenes for just, just a quick sec here? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I like doing this show. It's a lot of fun. Last week, though, something happened. Uh, I'm trying to cover for John and to make him not feel foolish, but uh, sometimes John and I goof up and, and like we forget to record or we hit mute or we don't hit unmute. And, and John, John had something to share with the class last week about something. I ended up having to get cut out of the show because I think you talked for over an American minute while muted and I offered to let you recreate it, but you, you said nah. And so I think what we're going to do this week is let you uh, have makeup, makeups for your, for your muting last week. It'll all be new to you, and I've uh, mostly yes. erased it from my brain, so it's new to me, too. Well, it just that if I hadn't, I feel like if I hadn't explained that, I would have to say something like, John, why don't you tell me about live streams? No, but the thing is, now we have the challenge, the two of us have the challenge of, why the heck did I bring this up last week? And I have to, I probably have to do the challenge without looking at Descript, I'm guessing. Uh, no, you're allowed to. All oh, right, because I can get context book. out of what I kept yelling at you. John, unmute. I think, John, I'm so, and I don't really do it like that, because I'm actually nicer than I seem. It's like, John. John, I think you're, I think you're muted, and then I think you I were finally texting text you. If you had, if you had shouted, I would have heard you, but you were like texting. Oh, my bad. I'm so sorry. Was like, I'm so sorry. Behind that, you're being too polite. I, I didn't mean to cuck your live stream. You gotta, you gotta interrupt me like I'm, you know, not a man. Me? I do that? You're trying not to do that. Where'd you hear that? <laughs> I'm on one of your other podcasts. <laughs> So why, so why did live streams come up? My job is not hard, but it is difficult. <laughs> yeah. Why did live streams come up? It was, I, here, um, I'll, I'll, I'll find it. We were talking about, uh, no, cause we, we were getting actually getting sort of near the end. So I bet we were talking about grit. Yeah. I mean, I'd have I, to guess. I, have, I don't remember the specifics, but the general thing is probably because you, what you were thinking of is like, we were trying to find something on the internet. Would it be helpful to you if I actually found this? Cause I can and find you it. Couldn't better. remember if it was like a tweet or maybe it was me or if it was like an, <laughs> an email or someone had sent it to you in a message, something like that. You know what? Um, don't pause, don't stop recording, but just, it's silly for me to look at this on air. Give me just a second. I'll find it in Descript and then I'll get to sound really smart when I tell you what it is. All right. Stopwatch is running. Go for it. Um, hmm. I don't know about this season of Survivor. Can we agree to call it Descript and not Descript? I don't know. I have to think about it. Cause I think this Descript doesn't have enough. You're not putting enough uh, jelly Descript. on it. It's why, I insisted, it's why I insisted to Dan, I didn't ex- entirely understand your joke about this. Why well, I said to Dan today that I need to call it Alien 2 and not Aliens, because if I don't hit, if I don't hit that the really hard, it's going to be confusing. Nah, and I feel familiar. like if I say the script, people are going to be like, why does it call it? You said D-script. You make D-script. up your own little words. It's like, the week- it's like we can do something on the weekend as if we're in the UK. I like that. I really I like it. that. No, at my flat. Weekend, you not me? weekend. Weekend. Uh, we work. Okay, I'm looking for S T R E A M. You're not going to find you... it because I was muted, though, right? <laughs> Shut your f- mouth. You said life streams after you got past it. So now I go and I back solve. I go mm-hmm. and I find it. Live streams. And let's go see how much 
this will be fun because we can see um, uh, contents dropped. Because there, is there silence in between? Save all that. Yeah. <laughs> 9.66 seconds and then 39 seconds. And you said, God damn it, uh, we're back in. Uh, I, I went, I think I found it. God damn it, you said, I, had, I said a whole bunch of stuff that's going to be on my audio hijack. And then I apologize that I did interrupt you more for once. I uh, need to conclude. Oh, there's really not much here. Can you find it in your audio hijack? <laughs> hey, John. Three, up. two, one. Um, hey, John, what's, what, 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 what's the live streams? <sighs> well, well, we have failed to find uh, why oh this came out last time. But I, as I said, I think it's because one of us couldn't remember where we saw something. Uh, and that happens a lot. Because there's a lot of different venues for us to see things. I, I have so you, many I, means for this, but I, it still doesn't cover everything. I've got, I've got Gmail. I've got photos. I've got Instapaper. I've got my YouTube history. I swear to God, John, I've got like six things that are part of my process before every podcast. What are all the things I forgot that I wanted to remember? And where did I learn about it? And I'm still about 50%. Yeah, and you didn't, you didn't even mention messages. I just sent you like the lawn sign stuff and messages. That's and true. The thing, one of the things I sent you in messages. If I could search messages, I'd use it more. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I sent you a message was also a tweet. So you could find that on Twitter, but other things are just images that I copied and pasted from a web page. And nobody ever gives me context. Yeah. So live streams is a thing that I saw on probably on PBS when I was a kid, back when I was learning about computers. I mean, everything was new and computers were new and everything was fascinating. And uh, the... The industry, the world hadn't yet decided how we were going to organize information. There were lots of competing ideas. Mm-hmm. One of them is the one that we are kind of familiar with today, which is a sort of nested folder metaphor that we kind of all have on our hard drives, where it's just, you know, folders or directories within folders or directories. And then within those, you have files, you know, the, the thing that we're familiar with. But and that just we might take for granted today. But in the early days of personal computing, that was not a given. And there were other competing ideas about how to arrange things how to uh, how to organize stuff on a computer and one of those ways was called live streams probably even edited by a person whose name is probably on the wikipedia page i think this. i may be looking at a page about it something to do with yale I welcome to the yale live streams page i don't invented by eric that. freeman and david gergeller there's, yeah, there's got to be like a wikipedia page for it. But this anyway, is from this is from like the john roderick era of the internet we were all still really excited about the new paradigms for how what we could do with all the stuff. You know I what I mean? It, it, it predates the popularization of the internet. This is 2000. Uh, oh, I see. I see. I see. Here's the Yale Live Streams Project page circa 1996. Maybe that's it. I'll send this to you. Let me see. There is a Wikipedia page on something. Let's see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, is there copyright history? 1994 to 1996? Eric T. Freeman, yeah, mid, Yale. mid 90s, Yale. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's maybe just on the cusp of the internet coming out. And the idea behind well, live streaming is different than live streams. Maybe this is not actually what I'm thinking of because it might have predated this, it might have been an 80s thing. But live streams is the idea of organizing information on a computer, not by not in a hierarchy of files and folders, but strictly time ordered. So you could see everything that you had encountered in your computing life in a big stream going off and kind of like time machine, the old time machine UI are still there. Kind of like a, you yeah, know, yeah. a stream going off into the distance. That's the past. And then your current plane is, is the present. And then the future was out sort of behind the user because you haven't gotten there yet. And so if you couldn't remember where you saw something, but you know, you saw it today, you would plow your way through the live stream 
until you found the thing that you had encountered. Now, there's two aspects of that. One is the organizational structure, which is there's no hierarchy, there's no tagging, there's no categorization. It's just purely like ordered by time. And the second thing is the implicit assumption that every single thing you've encountered is sort of saved so that, you know, unlike today, where if you see something in a browser tab... And e- then everything clo- that's in the life is in the life. Yeah, and then you close that browser tab and then two hours later, you want to get it back. You may think, oh, well, my browser stores history. I'll just go back through my history. Yeah, but what if the thing you loaded on that web page was it was like dynamically generated web page, like it was a weather you know, image, and that image is no longer on that web page. If you go to that same URL, you don't see the yes. same thing because now the weather image has changed. Or, or like or something I think about that's, that's orthogonal to this is like, I've, let's say there's a web page or a URL anyway, a URI in the world that I visited on three occasions. The fact that I visited that is useful. The fact that to know that I visited three times is useful. And then obviously to know what dates I visited it are, are crazy useful. But can I see that in context? In the equivalent of show in, clo- show in and closed folder? You know what I mean? Like the same way you could say show a photo in all photos. Sometimes the most useful context is like, oh, I remember this little factoid. Now show me everything around that. And if that can include like my 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 um, the lyrics to a song that was on the radio at the time, according to this API, and plus my receipt from Chick Fil A, it sounds silly, but you know there are times where you would kill to be able to put that together in a leftovers kind of way. Yeah, or even just the context of what else was on the computer screen at that time, because you you know just going back to the state of that that URL at the time, it was like okay, but then where was that browser window on the screen, and what other windows were open on the screen at the same time? Like the idea that everything that sort of you encountered everything that hits your eyeballs, everything that your brain registered is recorded and preserved so that at any time you can rewind for any amount of time in your entire life and go back to, at least in the world of the computer, let me see what I was looking at on my computer screen on, you know, Thursday, December 10th, 1982. And boom, there it is. Is that looking exactly the way it was? Now, part of the reason live streams didn't catch on is because as you start, you know, as you start building this vision and seeing it'll be so useful if X, if Y, if Z, you realize the you know, the storage requirements, the, you know, just the general computing requirements, how, how much data it, it there becomes, would be. It becomes like something from a, like a Borges story where there's, there's something where we're like, you know, like a, a, not a simulacrum, but the idea of like what you get into this notional magically real world where at the, at your, your, in some ways your smallest problem is how much stuff has to be backed up, but it's also how much stuff has to be correlated over time. and like how that would grow I, I i i'm not a math guy but i assume exponentially for those correlations to be it's one thing to say like what was on my screen on this day in 1992 and it's another thing and i just sent you this link for this thing called zettelkasten which is a you know a, a not not t- entirely dissimilar idea but like if you're doing that with anything but just even text files like that could get costly and big really fast and unwieldy especially if you want to interact with it so i want to see what's on my screen in 1982 and also now I want to start screwing with things like yes. now you're making a branching timeline, right? And now it's like, how does that even work? You mean you're preserving the state of the entire computer, including all the memory and what was in, in flight at the time? Like it basically becomes time travel. It's 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 narrowly focused time travel. It's time travel within the world of the computer. You're not time traveling outside of it. You're not getting younger, but it's like time travel in the computer because at any moment there you have a state of your computer. What's in RAM? What's on all the IO buses? What's on the permanent storage? That is the state of your computer. And that state changes over time. If you could rewind the state of your entire computer for the whole history of your life of computing, 
that would be amazingly powerful. And then you could branch from that. But then you think about how would that work? Like it probably requires some kind of quantum computing. Because because they're usually just doing diffs or deltas, right? Normally you're doing like an R-sync. Like how's this one different from that one? Yeah, well, our computers don't even work like this. Like the the, the concept, the the high-minded concept is very different from how would you practically implement this. But it's pra- almost like 10, it's almost like 10, I'm, this is off the dome, but 1080p versus 1080i. Or like it was first explained to me, the 1080 or like I is what you see on TV, which is interlaced, where it's like every other line. But the 1080p is like a a full frame, high quality, full quality photo for every frame. And if you started doing that at life size, that would get expensive fast. Yeah, and like I said, if you, especially if you're trying to preserve more than just the image, but you know the sound, the interactivity, the ability to start resume messing with it as if you were gone back in that part of time. So. There's, you know, that's the fantasy sci-fi type thing. I'm sure lots of sci-fi novels is something like this, like the ability to to rewind time within a simulation or something like that. Um, but the aspect of it that I always think about, the more practical one, is just the simple thing of like, where did I see that? I don't need to have yeah. every state of my computer preserved or whatever, but I do know that over the course of the day, I see a lot of stuff. And most of the applications I use on my computer are not particularly careful with preserving my ability to find that again forget about across things like even just browser history is like well if you don't remember the title or some word that was on that page it's not always easy to go back to that and so many things in browser history like web applications where like a single page app where the url is never going to bring you back to the state that you are in but you know you saw it (laughs) and but isn't also like kind of a heisenberg not heisenberg but a uh, schrodinger thing where like if you go and like, if you have an item in your history, I don't know the answer to this. If I hit Command-Y and start looking around, if I go and revisit something that I saw a year ago, does it still remember that I saw it a year ago? Uh, I mean, it depends on how you have your browser history set. But the more important question is, like, how it handles things like posts, like clicking a submit button in the old mm-hmm. school, you know, right? Um, yes. In general. Post versus get. Going back to history, yeah, won't. They'll either prompt you to warn you that they're going to do that. But, like, the point is, it's not it's not item potent. There's a word for you to learn if you haven't learned it. You know, item potent. Mm-mm. I'm going to spell it for you. I, yeah, there you go. Um, it's a concept in uh, programming, which basically means that you can do you can do the same operation over and over again, and you're not going to screw anything up, right? So if an, uh, an operation... Give me, give me an example I'd understand. So if an operation is idempotent, like um, let's say like turning the lights on, right? Um, mm-hmm. You can turn the lights on again, and they don't get any more on, and they don't turn off. So you can turn it on, turn the lights on, turn the lights on, turn the lights on. You can just do the operation over and over and over again, and it's harmless. Like, it's not going to alternate the state. It's not going to modify it. Um, it's th- That operation is safe to do as many times as you want. And the, you do it once and you do it 100 times, the lights are on, right? Mm-hmm. If, on the other hand, you had like a dial that went in a circle and the, the operation was rotate the dial... Mm-hmm. Then it might go on, off, on, off. That is not idempotent. So if you do it multiple times, it does different things. Or say like you had a web form that you hit submit, and when you hit submit, it made a purchase and it bought something for 10 bucks. If I hit submit again and it buys it again for 10 bucks, that's not idempotent because if I keep hitting that button, I'm going to be out of money real soon. Mm-hmm. A real idempotent operation would be you had this in your cart, you made this purchase, and hitting it again w- can't repurchase it because you already purchased it. So it would say something like, you know, I've already purchased that. Yep, good. And you could hit it a thousand times and you would only buy it once because that operation is item put, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it, that's a choice that a programmer can make when they implement something. But in general, according to the HTTP spec, lots of operations are not necessarily going to be item potent because they are essentially destructive, like destructive of money or they do a thing. And the more you do them, the more you 
exhaust whatever it is that you're doing. You know, you, you run out of money, you delete another file, you, you know, you add another file, right? You put another block on a tower. And if you keep repeating the operation, you get lots and lots of blocks, right? As opposed to an operation that says put block A on the tower. You can do that operation forever because block A is already on the tower. And it's going to say put block A on the tower. Yep, all set. Put block A on the tower. Yep, it's already on the tower. Good. Put block A on the tower. Yep, it's already on. Like you do that forever. It's not going to harm anything. Whereas put A block on the tower, not item potent. If you keep hitting that button, it'll just go forever. So tons of stuff in your browser history. If you were to do it again, like say, if you were to rewind your browser history to the page where you hit like complete purchase in Amazon and you were to revisit that page and it mm-hmm. actually redid the non-item potent operation, you'd buy another set of paper towels just mm-hmm. by going back in your browser history. Like just because you revisited that page, you don't want that to happen. I mean, right. you might want, what you want to see is like, oh, when I completed that purchase, it said, congratulations on completing your purchase. If you have any questions, you know, here's your order number or something. Yeah, I, like, I, I think I, I think I get it. I, I'm reading about it right now. It's, it's fascinating. Like for, I just recently been playing with a new, um, I installed a new weather station and of course, whenever you, whenever you're me and you install something new, you're checking it a lot and you're looking at it and you're comparing this to that. We had our first rain in a while. So, well, we had our first rain since I installed it yesterday. Of course I kept checking in, but long story short, there'd been a disconnect between the module and the outside rain gatherer. And I, I couldn't tell whether the rain, I didn't know yet whether, what, if rain, <laughs> This now it sounds like philosophy class, but like it, you know, if rain falls and it lands in that thing at a time when it's not making the radio connection to the module inside, uh, will it be counted? And will it be counted at the right time? Right. So I mean, that's 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 not utterly dissimilar. But what is similar is I went to go look at a map and it reloaded before I had a chance to note what the current state was. And unlike something like Time Machine on Dark Sky, there's no way for me to roll that back and see what that state was 10 minutes ago, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's often the problem with where did I see that on my computer? Because even if you remember, it's, you can't always go back, get back to the state that you're yeah, in. Yeah, like what if the folder's gone, for example? Yeah, or, or I mean, I find it with web pages all the time, because there's always some sort of like congratulatory successful completion of an operation page that you get when you go through some web form. Uh, and usually a good website will email you whatever information was on that page. You'll get email, but not always. And very often you want to say, oh, I know it said on that screen, like, congratulations, you just made your purchase. Like, here's your order number. Click this link to look at your order status. And, you you know, we just all close that page. Oh, great. I bought the thing. And we just expect an yeah. email to come in our inbox that has that info. But maybe you didn't make an account. Maybe you checked out as guest. Maybe you never got an email. And you're like, oh, if I could just go back and look at that screen, at least I would have my order number. But you mm-hmm. can't go back and look at that screen because usually that page is not a page that you can ever return to. Well, it seems like in the modern age, uh, and you you know more about why this is, but I, I feel like I know that it is, is that if you land on a result, like a, what would you call it? The, the, the results page where you say, okay, you just bought tickets to see fish. Now, if you reload that page in this particular contemporary era, you're not going to buy two more seats. You're, you might not even be able to get that page again. The best example of that is when that works best for, from my point of view is if I can go back in my history and there's some kind of, a, I don't know, a token or a, a serial number or whatever you would call it that lets me see that page again. But what you're describing, you remember all the time you'd have to put on a web page, don't wait a minute after you submit, don't click more than once. <laughs> Those are the bad old days of the web. Yeah. So if you're a web mm-hmm. developer, you know how to implement any of these behaviors it's it's a choice that you make you can choose to make it so people can't return to that page you can choose to make it so that if they reload they buy a second one like 
you can choose this. It's because okay. you're writing the application and the HTTP methods like get, put, post, those don't come with any particular guarantees. There are suggestions about how they're supposed to work, but people violated that all the time and continue to do so. It's bad, bad practice, but people do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, since past the 90s, everybody more or less learned the hard way, including me. Uh, hey, uh, after someone does a thing, uh, redirect and send them somewhere else so that they can hammer on the reload button and not cause any harm. Right. Because if you actually send them, if you actually just sort of process their post and give a response, when they reload, it will repost. And then you have to handle trying to make your purchase item potent. But the best thing to do is just to send them through a redirect. And anyway, there's tons of ways to make this work. You can make it so that it is possible for anyone to return to that page and see the same thing they saw. Most sites just don't do that because they're going to send you an email anyway. And there's your sort of receipt uh, version mm-hmm. of it or whatever. But it's, but it's frustrating, because, especially if you can't remember where you saw something because you're like, I know it came across my screen. I know I saw it with my eyeballs. Maybe I even know a string or a phrase that was in it now that we have great uh, you know, text extraction. But there's no sort of way the Mac operating system or Windows, that matter, are not organized in a way to let you search through text that has appeared in Windows over the past 24 hours in any application. That just doesn't Wait, exist. Say that again. Search through all the text that has appeared in Windows in any kind of mm-hmm. window that was on your screen in the past 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Like that is a tractable problem with modern computers, but it's not something that we have implemented because applications don't work that way. The operating system doesn't work that way. Like it, right. to give an example, now that Mac OS has this thing where you can extract text from images, the Mac Windows server could, if it wanted to, this would be kind of a security problem, constantly be extracting all the plain text from every window because the, the Mac Windows server has it, the bitmap of the of the window, right? It has mm-hmm. like, a, like a little picture, right? Yeah. Even if what's in the window is text, like it's text edited or it's a web page or whatever, the Windows server has all those pixels. So it could be in real time constantly extracting text from every single one of those things and then let you do a full text search and see the image of a window that contains that text from X number of hours ago. It doesn't do that. It would be a terrible security violation if it did that. But I'm saying tech wise, like we have the computing power to do that. Something like that that was actually secure um, would be a great addition to computing because I find this is a problem a lot of people had. Oh, I saw that recently, but I don't remember where it was. And they don't remember if it was on the web. They don't remember if it was in a message. They don't remember if it was an email. They don't remember if it was in a tweet, in a Slack, in, in Teams. Like, in, it, it could be anywhere. They mm-hmm. know they saw it today, but they can't even narrow it down to that. And so they go within each program. Let me look through my browser. So let me try to use a search in Teams, which is terrible. Let me try to use a search in Message, which is terrible. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's not fun. So I, whenever I see that happening, I think of live streams, which is like, we could have chosen a different path of how to organize information. If we had chosen that path by now, if we had decades and decades of experience of organizing things in live streams, we'd have incredibly powerful tombs, tools for flying through our live stream to find things from the past. But we don't. And it's kind of mm-hmm. sad. Yeah. Here's what it says on this uh, page, um, which is, uh, I, oh, gosh, I, I kind of miss Times New Roman pages. Um, a live stream is a time-ordered stream of documents that functions as a diary of your electronic life. Every document you create and every document other people send you is stored in your live stream, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think one thing, so even in an age where we have more robust computing and, I mean, how do you even begin to talk about how much stuff has changed and matured, you know, since this time? But like, it would be interesting to kind of revisit this, but because this is a sort of a problem lots of people have tried to address from one angle or another. There's the one angle of the, you know, AT&T in the future, you will kind of approach of like, you know, you're not going to need file drawers anymore because you're just going to be able to like, you remember that uh, there was that one thing, I don't, it might even be AT&T who made it, but there was that way where you could navigate through your Mac's hard drive 
in this pseudo kind of virtual thing. Do you remember that? Where it, it looked like an Atari. Maybe I feel like I remember this thing that was it was it was around the time that Cyberpunk uh, that I, I thought enough to realize this is a little bit like something from Neuromancer. But there was a thing where you could like kind of navigate around in this, you know, uh, simulate a sort of not 3D environment. It, like I say, it looked like Red Baron or Lunar Land or Atari graphics. But there, so there's the one. But there, I guess what I'm trying to say is there is the angle of like you could way over engineer something like this for uh, this very general problem of you know how do how do we deal with stuff's relationship with stuff but this the, a more narrow domain that is interesting is that like for me the problem is and, and some of it's bad memory but some of it's also just volume is and my biggest problem is where did i read this i mean where did i hear about this like from a person is a, is a slightly different problem or when did i hear about this and so really a hipster PDA style approach for that has helped me where like now for me today, that's a text file. Where like, let's say back in the day at the comic meetup, somebody would recommend a comic or a TV show. I would write down what the thing is. I would write down a little, a little more than what I needed to know, which was there's this thing called Why the Last Man? And it's a comic book by, uh, and I would say, you know, Brian K, uh, what's his head, Vaughn? Anyway, I would say, oh yeah, the guy who did you know, Saga, he did this comic, check it out. That was recommended by Jesse. Uh, like Jesse Atkinson recommended that. I would write it, but that's, that's as much cue as I would need in that instance. But it's, it's that combination of these six sources that regrettably, sadly, is where I get or store a lot of my information. That solves some of it. But the really interesting thing this live streams thing means to solve is something much deeper, I think. And it's the unpredictable future, which is be. I think about this, John. How if you had something? Let's say you had something like live streams, however you envision it in a modern context. Starting tomorrow, if you had, I, I've, I'm I'm the Casey here. I have to ask you this, and I know you're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna object to the terms, which is fine. But if you had something like live streams that you could design or use starting tomorrow, what would you start doing differently in the future? Right? Like if you knew that there was going to be some kind of a breadcrumb trail that was, you know, uh, a relational, a relational breadcrumb trail. Is there anything you would do differently tomorrow? Yeah, I think what I would do is less of the things that I currently do to make up for the lack of this. Like I spent a lot of breadcrumb time making breadcrumb trails. Like I will mark something with the bookmark or copy a URL into a notes document or squirrel something away or like just all the stuff that I do is because I see something I'm like I essentially I don't have time to deal with that now or I don't now is not the time when I'm going to deal with that but I do want to deal with it later so now I need to do something so that I can find it again later Mm -hmm. when I want to and if I had live streams and I could confidently say of course I'll be able to find it later because it's on my screen now and I'll roughly remember that it happened on this day or whatever. And I can always just do like a full text search or an image search or an intelligent ML powered search through my live stream and it will find it right away in the same way that I have confidence that like that's the reason most of us don't use bookmarks anymore. Google has gotten good enough that you don't really need to bookmark your favorite pages. You can just type any vague old thing into Google and it will bring you to whatever it is you're looking for. Even if it's a really obscure page on some random site, like you'll find your way to it because Google is good. But that's not true of our general live streams of like our own sort of set of things that we're trying to keep track of or whatever. Um, You know, and I don't think it would get rid of everything. Like I use uh, the tracked.tv database to keep track of TV shows I'm watching. And I use Letterboxd to to keep track of movies I want to watch, right? Mm -hmm. I would probably still use those because that's not about finding something I saw in the past. That's more of sort of keeping lists. But 
I, you know, it's half the reason I fave things on Twitter. I'm not faving them. Most of the time, I'm not faving to say I agree with this. I'm faving it because I may want to find that tweet later and there's no way yes. in how I'm going to find it with search. I do that I, for a lot of cute dog photos that I know I'm going to want to show my wife later. Yeah, and, exactly. You don't want yeah. to send them now, but like if I fave mm-hmm. it, my list of faves is much, much shorter than a list of tweets that scrolls by. So I can just literally go to my list of favorites and scroll through it manually because I've so narrowed it down to the, you know, 10 things per day that I want to look at. Yeah, and you've also added now added a flag that you can use to search that will help a lot over what you're given to work with in Twitter naturally. Yeah, and I and I apologize for everyone using the official Twitter client where me faving something makes it appear in their timeline for some ridiculous reason. Please use a better client. Yeah, please give me Twitter blue. Um, here's an example that's fairly straightforward. Is like um I I love spreadsheets. I really like Google Sheets. There's just ever since I discovered you know, whatever it was, probably Excel. But whenever I first started using spreadsheets a million years ago, something about it eventually really clicked with me. I mean, before, you know, obviously when I get to pivot tables, you know, that was an amazing moment for me. But also just the ability to, you know, just to do formulas was such a powerful idea. So I just want to say, I love I love spreadsheets, but like uh, a document I think you actually still have uh, permissions to, our Do By Friday Challenge Sheet, has 672 lines in it, and it's the, it really only has two important columns, but about seven currently used, you know, columns of some kind. But, like, there's something I'd really like in this, and I'll tell you how I discovered this. The way I discovered this is when you've got 672 lines in a sheet, in a Google sheet, like, you do a lot of scrolling to get down to the bottom, and I was looking, hey, there you are, and I was looking at several different ways that I could say, take me to the last row Basically, take me to the row above the first row that has nothing in it, I guess. And there's, there's different ways to do that, but none of them are super easy. But then that also made me realize if uh, there must be something like the equivalent of a, of a serial number for each line. Or like, so like, there is something that identifies this line's lininess. And then there's something that, that somewhere must identify when it was created, when it was modified. I wish stuff like that was just easier to expose. Like if I do the sort, so if you're looking at the stock right now and I sort by H, if I sort by column H, that means I'm so that's so whenever we agree to a challenge, I put in the date for when that episode will be recorded. And it's nice to be able to say, okay, sort if I sort by column H, that means I'll, that I'll, everything that we've done as a challenge floats to the top. Everything we haven't done as a challenge floats to the bottom. But for me to keep anything like this normal view and not screw it up, I can't do that over much or I lose all kinds of sortiness about this. And, and so like, and that's where something like the Zettelkasten idea is so interesting to me, even though it's, it's way too much overhead for me personally for what I would get out of it. But I, I mean, there's a reason that I put a timestamp on everything or a date stamp. For me, that's, if it's um, anything that could eventually touch the finder, it's S date, which is basically an ISO date with no colons in it. I've got U date, which is a much more friendly to the eyes, non finder friendly format. But, uh, and then I'm pretty ruthless about how I use that. If you just pick whatever you pick, in my case, ISO, I always, always, always just use ISO. And then, you know, there's only so many ways that I could screw that up when trying to find, like, maybe I'm going to have to do a space or an underscore instead of a space between the, the date and, uh, the time, but that becomes incredibly useful to me. So even when I start a running file or what I call a runx file, I always put a date stamp on that or at least a, uh, a day stamp on that. And I, I, that's a habit I've gotten into that I don't think I could ever let go of at this point. 
even though I don't always need it, it costs me almost nothing to type the five characters of S-D-A-T-E and then to know that if I want to find stuff, because, you know, what if it changes in the finder? What if something happens and the finder loses its uh, created on, updated on stuff? Like a few things bum my head more than when I can't get a date added column, like on my Synology, it doesn't want to do date added. And I swear by date added. In some areas, that's incredibly, like in my downloads folder, there's a bunch of, if I download a, a, a GIF from somewhere and I sort by date modified, well, if that was modified a month ago, it's not going to, you know what I'm saying? There's just all these ways that like I've accommodated these shortcomings in various ways, but I would not turn down the ability to have more control and automation to the way this stuff is all stamped. Yeah, that's why I'm so so uh, excited, ranty, angry about file system metadata back in the day and still kind of am because like the fact that we can't rely on that and the fact that, uh, thank you, the fact that uh, date added is not really, I mean, there's, there's so, there is so little file related metadata that survives passage through the internet, mostly because of laziness, but also just because that no one was interested in expanding the set of metadata supported, like and it's just, it's so, it's so bare. Like we can't even rely on the basics of created and modified. Forget about date added to folder. Forget about arbitrarily extensible metadata. And even the metadata that we have ways to communicate over HTTP, for example, people just don't because mm-hmm. it's pointless and they don't, they don't want to bother. And chances are good if you download anything from the internet, the date created will be the date you downloaded it. Even though in theory, yes. there's no reason, there's nothing stopping the downloading of that file through your web browser from preserving the date of the file on the actual file system of the file serving it. Maybe that's not what they want to do, but sometimes it is. But it's just when I see people putting things like dates in file names, it just shows, like like you said, things that you have to do as a practical matter to make up for shortcomings in the system. And then we're not even talking about live streams. We're talking about things that ostensibly are supported, like date created and modified. You can't even rely on them. This goes all the way back to um, uh, Apache Logs or something. We're like, or like, for example, I, I think it's kind of cool that there's a bunch of stuff recently that I've been playing with, especially on iOS, things like, let's say I want to do a backup of my Home Plus setup, or let's say um, they recently in 15.1 now, they've added a way to browse your privacy report, but I still would like, I still like doing it in that version I got off GitHub. Um, and, and I like, I like how many, you, I, I put, I tend to, how do I say this? I, I tend to have a little, I, I feel happy, lucky, fortunate when I get something that's obviously the date right now is in the file name after some identifying thing at the beginning, there's letters at the beginning to say, this is what this thing is. And then there's the equivalent of a date stamp. And like, I, but I, I kind of feel like if you, if I'm, I'm, I don't mean to sound condescending, if you want to see how this can be kind of powerful, just in your day to day, a couple things that, that you can play with that will teach you a, a lot about this. Oh, I statements. Things about this that have taught me a lot. Um, the I, I now that Google's come so far, I think of a, lo- a lot of us have become less obsessed with learning about all the different kinds of operators and attribute things in Google. And I think the same goes for Spotlight. Well, Spotlight has so much interesting stuff in it that you could benefit from that isn't obvious. And you're gonna have to. It's frustrating to use because you got to click in the search field and start searching for something. But then once you started searching for something, you get booleans and you get attributes and you can do all this really great stuff. The most obvious being stuff like, you know, uh, you know, date added was after this, but before that. But also, so between Spotlight and Hazel, 
Hazel will also then let you do things like, in my case, I tend to want to just, if I'm on iOS and I want to dump something in my iCloud folder, I don't want to have to navigate, you know, folder hierarchies. And so for certain kinds of things that I know I'm going to have multiples up of and that I know I can count on to have a date stamp in it, I just make a Hazel rule that says, look for things that match this criteria and that criteria, and then automatically sort those, like subsort these into like my home plus reports or my privacy reports or what have you. Oh, that's all very straightforward stuff. But I love that given the simplicity, the primitiveness of this stuff, I like that that's still easy. Hazel takes it way further than that though, because you don't, I'm not a programmer, but I've done some pretty cool stuff with saying like, if this, if there's a file of this kind with this extension, that's been in here for more than an hour, do this with it. And then of course you can get into really crazy, like sub sorting into subfolders inside of Hazel, but to leverage that for anything more than like first order interestingness, you need to learn a little bit about what all those attributes are. And then here's one that I bet I'm sure everybody here knows this, but did you know, for example, like stuff I download from certain sites on the internet, uh, will have the URL from which it was obtained. And that'll be in like a comment or in a, in a field in the finder that can actually be really handy. Like show me everything I got from xyz.io, right? And fortunately, the provider that I use for certain of my files also maintains the created date, which can sometimes wreak havoc with Plex sort orders and there's not an easy way to deal with that. But there's so much power to all, having had to hack around with all of this stuff, um, until that gets better, I think it is good to know that there are ways that you can handle some of this stuff on your own. But to handle more of this stuff on your own, I think it's beneficial to explore, yeah, this may be a garbage fire, but it's our garbage fire. Like you can learn a lot about the the stuff that's all sitting on your Mac right now. Don't thank me now. Thank me on the day that you got a new Mac. And for whatever whatever reason, everything inside your documents folder suddenly got changed to updated on this date. Because that could really screw up your apparently good system pretty bad. Yeah, I, I, the thing you mentioned, the comments on like what, where you downloaded something from, I, even that I found in recent years just on the Mac has been less reliable. Very often I go searching for it and I'm like, oh, it's gone. Like, and I don't know when it disappeared, right? We're just- I, I feel like it doesn't, I don't know if it happens all the time. I'm gonna go to download it. Might, it might just be for older things, but like I remember when it was still being actively done, like ve- lots of operations that you could do, especially with things like Dropbox, especially in the early days, not preserving quote unquote Mac specific metadata like comments, but like- you won't notice it when it's gone until you do a search for it or, you know, and you, and you or you specifically look at an individual file and you get info and you look in the comments field and there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I know I downloaded this. It should have the URL that I downloaded from or the website that I downloaded from. It just doesn't anymore. And of course, you've got real extended attributes now, too. Yeah, I've got under under. So I just I downloaded because I've been having this aliens jag for the last 24 hours. I downloaded a bunch of stuff from YouTube. Um, thank you, Downey. And all of those in the field called where from. Under more info, I see the YouTube URL in there. Now, what about these? Yeah, yeah, the stuff I just sent you that was from Flickr. That's got the Flickr uh, uh, URL under where from. I would not count on this. I would not make this a load-bearing wall in my mm-hmm. life, but it, it is pretty handy. Yeah, that's the thing, you know, because, again, that's the, the incorrect phrase, but we all use lowest common denominator. Like, which of this stuff will survive passage through a hostile environment? Not much. <laughs> not much. File name, wait, maybe, wait, there, probably. Uh, well, under what conditions? In some in some cases, for videos, video files, I can see, like, okay, so for example, Dan sent me something today 
Uh, it's a dot PSD that's 400 by 400. He sent me another PSD that's 1400 by 1400. I can see that this the making of aliens documentary uh, doesn't say. Why is it that sometimes a video file will have stuff like, is it just me? Sometimes it has codecs and um, uh, dimensions and sometimes not. Is it just me? So this is, you know, this is one of the greatest disappointments of my of the era in which I live. The greatest disappointments of how computers have gone in my lifetime is that we never did fully embrace the idea of arbitrarily extensible metadata file system objects. So we just get by with whatever the hell we have. And one of the arbitrarily ways arbitrarily extensible metadata for right. web so objects. I can break it down. Arbitrarily extensible means there's no fixed set of metadata. You can add name value pairs of any mm. kind, right? Oh, so you could like have your own like sort of like JSONy, like all these kinds of files can accept all these different kinds of metadata. No, it's, it's just think of a file as a blob of data, and then you want metadata, which is data about that data. And arbitrarily mm -hmm. extensible means I can say anything about this data. I don't have to just say these five things. I can say anything about it. I can could say how cool mood. is it. I can say, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, what day of the week uh, was, uh, you know, did I create this? Like any, anything you wanted, like what, what phase was the moon when the, when, uh, when I had the idea for the story that is contained in this thing, like any, you know, arbitrarily extensible file system metadata means, Hey, all that information is stored in the file system. And the idea that it would be embraced across the industry such that all of our protocols and all of our computing devices would understand that, Hey, when you get a file, mm -hmm. you're also going to get an arbitrary set of metadata about that file. It's not going to be a fixed set. You're not going to know what you're going to get. Just accept these name value pairs, right? And you don't know how many they're going to be. There could be zero. There could be five. There could be a thousand. But just mm -hmm. every piece of, every computing thing we build, every network protocol, every application, every, you know, smart home toaster, every Roomba, every Mac, every phone, every everything, whenever you deal with any blob of data, you're going to get the data, and then you're going to get the metadata and the metadata is going to be arbitrary and you're not going to know what it is. And we're going to have standards for the regular stuff like, hey, creation date, file name, mm -hmm. you know, modification. Date. Some we'll kind have, of a dictionary. We'll have a standard stuff. set, but also there could be literally anything in there. There could That's just cool. be like. I, I would love that. I would love that. Right. But we don't have that. What we have is an incredibly poor thing where it's like, look, the only like the minimum standard for us is no metadata. You just get the data. And there is absolutely no metadata about it. And so lots of, you know, we're talking about the things that we personally do to try to make up for the shortcomings in our computing life. Yeah. Lots of other people have been faced in similar situations. This goes back to explaining your question about why when I get info on something, sometimes I can see the dimensions and sometimes I can't. One of the ways people have dealt with this incredible failure of our collective computing world is to give up on metadata and say, look, I can't trust that literally any metadata is going to, to arrive. All that I can trust, hopefully, is the data arrives. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bury the metadata in the data. So that the content of the file, like just the content mm -hmm. of the file, mm -hmm. inside that content, I'm going to carve out a little section. Maybe it's at the beginning. Maybe it's at the end. Maybe it's spread through the whole file. And I'm going to put my own little set in my own weird-ass format of name-value pairs in the file. And so sometimes in on Mac operating system or in, in the Finder or in any other program, if you inspect a media file and if that media file is one of the container formats or whatever that it is familiar with it will know oh if i look inside a file of this kind at the mm -hmm. beginning at the end every x bytes or whatever yeah I if will... i open it i have to open it in iina 
and hit inspector, and then it'll it'll tell me all that stuff. But I, that's it's not because of the metadata, right? Well, that that may be that may be metadata that is extracting from the data of the file. Yeah. It also could be deriving that by essentially, you yes, know, that's what I'm saying. It's because it opened the file it, now it knows. And, yeah, and, and figuring out, right? But that's that's how terrible things are. Is that so many file formats have decided the only way I I, I want to have metadata because it's useful. The only way I can do it is to literally smuggle it in the data because I can't trust that a single shred of metadata will survive transit across hmm. the hostile internet across multiple platforms so right. on and so forth it's yeah. very depressing yeah because yeah. we were so again technologically there's nothing wrong with this it was just we couldn't get our collective acts together to sort of agree on a standardized format for the common set of things and but furthermore to agree that the common things there's nothing special about them it's just like in a convention we all agree upon we you know we, we agreed upon all this stuff for things like network protocols or for http or for web browsers but Across files and file systems and metadata, we couldn't come to any agreement. The only agreement we can come to is like, okay, I guess it's a stream of bytes. But beyond that, <laughs> and even that, the Mac had two streams of bytes because it had data fork and resource fork. But beyond that, no agreement on metadata. So we have all these stupid formats that have the metadata buried in the data. And we have other things like the Mac where the metadata is stored in an external, you know, half the metadata is stored in an external spotlight index. The other half is uh, actual file system metadata that is arbitrarily extensible. It's stored in the file system, but it's not going to survive the trip because most computing platforms don't have arbitrarily extensible metadata, or if they do, it has different formats and limits than APFS does or HFS plus does or whatever. It's just depressing. This place is not a place of honor. No, it is not. 